Welcome to the jungle. My name is Jim Rome. I am in Southern California. To answer your question, well, Rome, if you no longer have a TV simulcast and you're not yet on X, where are you broadcasting from? Ah, great question. Southern California. Where do you think I'm broadcasting from? We are in Southern California. We are live. I am currently efforting Joey Logano getting ready for the Daytona 500. Remember, that's the thing about NASCAR, right? They start with their Super Bowl. Joey Logano is supposed to join me right here. And if you know anything about NASCAR, generally, those drivers are always ready to roll, always on time. So I would expect that he won't be that far away. We are efforting him right now. Coming up next segment, a Chiefs beat writer from The Athletic, Nate Taylor. Coming up the top of our number three, What's Your Beef? Something I want to reset. I want to reset it because I want to make sure you listen to it. So I made a big deal out of Nick Casario doing episode number 300 of the Jim Rohn podcast. And the reason I made a big deal out of that was it was a big deal. A big deal for two reasons. A big deal because that's a milestone number. I am really proud of 300 episodes of that podcast because that's my original side hustle. That's where I go to get nice. That's where I go to get loose. That's where I go to create content for you that is premium and uncut, and most of all, long-form and free. Those aren't mini-pods. Those are extended conversations, and we have 300 of them. So I'm proud of that. Also, it was noteworthy because Nick Casario did it. The all-time clone, the legendary clone, arguably the most accomplished clone. Why do I say that? How many other clones do you know have one Super Bowl ring, much less multiple Super Bowl rings. I don't know of any. In fact, I don't think there are any. I think that there are athletes and executives that know the show, listen to the show, have long listened to the show. But I don't know how many I would call clones. Nick's a clone and an extremely accomplished NFL executive. So that was great. But then we chased that with episode 301 which was unlike any other episode we've ever had, which I will get to a little bit later on. But right now, we're joined by the driver of the number 22 Ford Mustang for Team Penske, two-time NASCAR Cup Series champ, 2018-2022. He has won 32 Cup Series races, the 2015 Daytona 500 champ, and yesterday, he did win the pole for the 66th annual Daytona 500, which is Sunday at 2.30 p.m. Eastern. We are joined by Joey Logano. Joey, good to have you back. Joey, how are you? I'm doing good. What's happening? You know, usual stuff. Great to run you down, especially before the big one. Listen, in most sports, heading into the first event of the year, Joey, I would ask an athlete, hey, tell me about the offseason, man. What did you do? What did you do to get nice? But NASCAR is different because NASCAR kicks off with their biggest event of the year. So I'm guessing your downtime must feel like ancient history. How pumped are you then to have captured the pole for the Daytona 500 for the first time in your career? Uh, we're pretty stoked about it. We've... Uh, <laughs> To be in the front row for the Great American Race is uh, obviously a huge deal. It's a huge deal for our team. Um, everyone worked so hard over the offseason, massaging on this car, uh, just to see what it's got in qualifying. Joy uh, the only time that you're on the, on the racetrack on your own, uh, and you're, you're wide open around it, so it's really a lot about the team, and, and they really 
Uh, brought out the new Dark Horse Mustang with a, a lot of speed and nice to be on the front row. Sorry to interrupt you. I thought you were done. Joey, listen, I'm going to ask you about the team, but I do want to ask you about the car. You broke 181 miles per hour in qualifying, so it seems like the car is running extremely well. Does winning the pole at Daytona have added significance, not only because of the stature of the race, but because teams, all the teams, put so much time in the garage during the winter, ramping up for it? And then tell me about your car. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it is. I mean, and especially with our, our Mustang this year is a new Dark Horse Mustang. So this car has been developed, you know, all last year and um, has never seen the racetrack up until yesterday outside of the L.A. Clash, which is on a quarter-mile racetrack. So you can imagine a two-and-a-half-mile racetrack is, is much different, uh, and the body design is going to be you know, affected by the air a lot more when you're going 180, 190 mile an hour. So uh, we know it's fast by itself. Uh, so anything we can do to put the Shell Pennzoil Mustang out in the clean air, that's probably what is going to be a good move because it's got speed. So, um, you know, look for that you know, bright red and yellow car to be uh, out front anytime I can get it out front um, because of the speed. But tonight in the duels, we'll be able to tune on it a little bit, uh, see what it's got in the draft with the handling piece of it. Um, and then, you know, we have a practice, and so a couple practices before the 500. So we'll just keep dialing it in slowly but surely and make sure we have it perfect by Sunday. Joey Logano joining us. So, Joey, Ford swept the front row with Michael McDowell qualifying second. After drivers for Henrik Motorsports had won the pole at Daytona eight of the last nine years, did what happened yesterday feel like something of a breakthrough? Uh, you know, it, it's crazy because you come down here for the you know 500, and we don't have any practice laps to know where you're going to stack up. So it's truly like a surprise to everybody uh, on where you're going to be. And, and, you know, just talking about the new Mustang, same thing. We have no idea where it's going to be uh, until you get out there. And just to see the speed I had initially um, was very exciting. Um, and finally, somebody knocked uh, Hendrick off of the poles here. They had an incredible run, and, and, and uh, they did a great job, obviously, at, at being able to create speed in their cars. Um, but it's nice to be able to see a Ford up there, two Fords up there uh, to fire off. So um, we'll see how tonight goes, like I said. But uh, definitely a huge accomplishment. There's a lot of guys on my team that have been doing this for over 30 years that never had a Daytona 500 pole. So there was a lot of excitement last night, uh, rightfully so. It was exciting to see them. Hey, Joy, I think that's cool what you just said, that there are guys on your team who have done it 30 years and never, ever seen the pole, which brings me, to, brings me to my next thing, and that's time. Time is so weird. Like, you and I have been talking for so many years, going back to when you were NASCAR's teen sensation. It's hard to even process that this is your 16th Daytona 500. You won in 2015. You chased that by finishing fourth twice in 2018 and 19. You came in second last year. What is it? that, I mean, it's Daytona, of course, but do you think this track brings out the very best in you? It brings out the very best and the very worst at the same time. <laughs> Explain that. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, anytime you have, you know, that, that much on the line, right? This is the great American race. It's, it's the biggest race of the year, unless you're racing for a championship in Phoenix in the final race of the year. That's only for four drivers. But for everybody in the whole field, the Daytona 500 is ginormous. Um, now, there's no other you know, time that you do a bunch of interviews like I'm doing today about winning a poll in Atlanta next week. It's about Daytona, and this is how big this one is. So, um, yeah, this, this is a, uh, an event that you want to have checked off, the Harley J. Earl Trophy. And it, you see that thing on, on media day yesterday, and, and, you know, it's great to have my name on it once, but all you want to do is put your name on it again. Uh, it's such a special time to, to do it. Everybody, all your partners are here, all your um, – you know, all your family, your friends, 
everybody is here uh, ready to celebrate if you're able to make it happen. So um, it's hard to put the Daytona 500 into words. Um, you know, just the prestige and everything that goes along with it. Not to mention it pays really, really well to, to win this one, too. So there's a lot of oh, good man. things that happen um, that, you know, makes you makes a lot of the drivers make some very aggressive moves on the racetrack. And I'd say the best and the worst. That's where I go. Is you, can, you can make some big moves, but there's also a lot of mistakes that happen at the end of the race because every driver, I think, is wired to say, I will give up a top five finish for a chance to win. Uh, it's not like that at every race. But for the 500, people are willing to throw out a really solid finish for a chance to win. I think that is an amazing explanation and description of what that's really like. Joey Logano joins me for a few more moments. And, Joey, I want to give you credit. I think, number one, you always show up like this. But especially this week, we are doing so much media. I really appreciate you showing up with this kind of energy. I mean, there's juice in and of itself because it's Daytona. But props to you because I can only imagine how many interviews you'll do today. Let me ask you this. Like, when you mention Daytona, there are guys that already the stakes are always so high. Every single time you get behind the wheel of one of those rigs, stakes are so high. But especially in Daytona, give given what's at stake and the money involved, which brings me to the obvious thing. Every athlete that I've ever known always, always, always says, control the controllables. Your sport, more than any other sport, it's really important to control the controllables because almost everything's out of your control. What's your mindset? How do you approach that? you got to look at all the details that are there. You know, our cars are all so equally matched now that it really comes down to the people. It comes down to the team and the execution of the race. Um, you know, our, our, obviously we have a really quick car here, but that doesn't mean anything if we don't execute the race properly from a strategy standpoint, from working the draft, putting ourselves in position at the end of the race. There's some things that can happen, right? I mean, there's, there's times that you can just caught up in a wreck that happens here in Daytona, right? We talked about, you know, last five laps of this race gets so intense and, and, and the moves are so aggressive and risky that you could get caught up in something, but all you can do is control exactly what you said, control the controllables, which is put yourself in position, be in the picture, be, you know, in that top, you know, four to six cars on the final restart. That's all you can ask for throughout the whole race. And listen, it's 500 miles. There's never going to be a perfect 500 miles. There will be mistakes made within that, and you'll have to overcome some kind of adversity. But if you know it going in, it's not a big deal when it happens. You just keep fighting through it. And, uh, and like I said, you're never out of this thing until the very, very end. So you got to keep trying to make up for it. So, Julian, one last thought. If it is the Super Bowl, your sport, like I talked to, I was in Vegas all last week leading up to the Super Bowl like I am every single year, and guys will always say, you know, you want to treat it like it's just another game, but clearly it's not just another game. As you work your way through this week, you're doing your media today, but as you work your way through this week, I mean, can you really say that you're going to stick to your process and treat it and prepare mentally and physically like it's just another another race or do you change something and gear up differently because it's not just another race it's daytona what is the approach yeah i mean the biggest thing is that you have to keep competition first there's a lot of other um things that pop up on your schedule uh whether it's media whether it's like we talked about all your sponsors are down here um you know dinners and all that 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 come up but as long as you are mentally prepared and know everything that's going to be coming your way when the race starts you're good. Um, and so, yeah, is it bigger than every other race? Yeah, because there's a lot more things to do. But you have to keep competition first. Uh, and as long as I do that, when the race fires off, I feel prepared and ready. 
It's a great answer. It's the focus, right? As long as you maintain focus, as long as you keep the main thing the main thing. You know all those kind of like trite cliches, but they're all accurate, right? As long as you keep the main thing the main thing and you focus on your – or you keep the focus the main thing, then you can the, – the future will take care of itself, I think, as long as you're focused. He's the driver of the number 22 Ford Mustang for Team Penske. He got, should say – and that's the first time he's done that. He's already won the race. I'm talking about Joey Logano. Obviously, a lot to cover. Joey, great to have you on the show. Thank you very much, and good luck this weekend. I know it's a big one. Yeah, thanks, Jimmy. It's a good time. I uh, hope to hope to do it again. It's been a a little bit. It's been nine years since we won the 500, and we were shoot only two inches away from winning it last year. So we're hoping to to make up the difference here. You know, I'll find you, man. You know, I'll find you if you do. In fact, I'll find you if you don't. Right. Joey Logano joining us. Thanks, Joey. Always appreciate you. Always shows up like that. I mean, that, Alvin, that really is the epitome. The epitome of the disclaimer. Now, Joey Logano is one of the good guys. But tell me, if I run the NASCAR disclaimer right now, tell me he does not check every single box. Good guy. Top performer. They know what they're doing. Respects the fans. There's no better league to deal with than NASCAR. Gives back. Appreciates the sport. Has time for the fans. And NASCAR has won me over. I like it. I get it. They call on time. They do good interviews. They have good attitudes. It's big. It's not going away. Good interviews. Shows up on time. Every one of those guys is like that. They won me over. I will say for the record once again, I've done a 180. He's not Tony Stewart. Rusty Wallace is my favorite guest. And if it's not Rusty Wallace, it's Clint Boyer and his bus driver, Curtis. I did not break the pace car. Carl Edwards, class act, Trevor Bain. The best energy, and I love Jeff Gordon. I can't pick favorites, but Jimmy Johnson's my favorite. And Brad Keselowski is right there. I mean, that, Alvin, that really is the epitome. <laughs> the epitome of the disclaimer. Now, Joey Logano is one of the good guys. Good guy. Top performer. They know what they're doing. Respects the fans. There is no better league to deal with than NASCAR. Gives back. Appreciates the sport. Has time for the fans. And NASCAR has won me over. I like it. I get it. They call on time. They do good interviews. They have good attitudes. It's big. It's not going away. Good interviews. Shows up on time. Every one of those guys is like that. They won me over. I, I will say for the record once again, I've done a 180. He's not Tony Stewart. Rusty Wallace is my favorite Albie, guest. Is that on loop? Not Rusty What's Wallace, going on here? Clint Boyer. Normally you don't Robert play Curtis. it three times. not break the pace car. Carl Edwards, class act, Trevor Bain. The best energy. And I love Jeff Gordon. I can't pick favorites, but Jimmy Johnson's my favorite. And Brad Keselowski is right there. I mean, that, Alvin, that really is the epitome. I got it, Alvin. The epitome. I, I, I got you added that, Alvin. Yeah, I got Joey that. Logano is I understand. one of the good guys. All right. Thank you, Alvin. Thank you. They know what they're doing. Alvin added to the disclaimer on the fly, but wanted to make sure that I knew that he added to the disclaimer on the fly, which is why that's the first time you ever played that on a loop. I probably could have walked it off. I probably could have gone home and just played that the rest of the day. But, but Joey is those things. Notice the one insert in the middle of that. He's not Tony Stewart. Tony Stewart, Smoke, is still the only NASCAR driver that would not do the show. And as I mentioned, I fine, good. I'm not even mad about that. In fact, I'm happy about that. Because, as I always say, if everybody wants to do the show, then I'm not doing my job. Then it means it's the ultimate safe haven. And by the way, that can never happen. Because no matter what I do or what I say, somebody will hate. Smoke definitely hates. Me. I don't mean he's a hater. He hates me. Which is okay. Many of you do. I will tell you this, there's always one. Every driver, nobody's ever said no. That, that's the most amazing thing about NASCAR. Not one other driver in years, even after what I said about that sport for years, ever said no, except Smoke. 
which I've come to like respect and like. Like, if you were to come back now and say, you know what, Rome, let's bury the hatchet. I would, but I'd be disappointed. I like it that there's one because there's always one. Give you an example. Last week at Super Bowl, was that not fun? Was that not great? Was everybody not happy to see me and me them? Nope. There was one. One that was booked, found out was me, and said, oh, hell no. I'm not doing that. And I knew it. I knew it. it there, there was a red flag. The second that came through, like, that guy's coming on the show, I'm like, wait, that guy is? I mean, great. I hope so. But that's not happening. And I knew it. And the bookers were like, nope, nope, nope. We've checked. We've checked. They know. They know. They know. I'm like, great. Awesome. I'm all about it. I'm all about it. And then right before that person, that person, guy, gal, whatever, that person found out it was me and said, oh, no, I'm not doing that. I'm like, oh, no way. Really? I knew that was coming. So there's always one. There's always one. There's smoke. There's that guy or gal. You got to have one. Every show has one. Every event has one. I'd be disappointed if there wasn't one. I got to get out. My bad. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the parade. And Nate Taylor, who is a Chiefs beat writer from The Athletic, was at the parade. And then we'll move on and we'll have the beef segment at the top of the hour. Speaking of clones, one question. Why is Old Trapper beef jerky so amazing? Why don't we start with the fact that, well, it is an amazing family-run business. Then I move on to the fact that they use just the best ingredients. Not every product is that way. I know some products where obviously you want to save money. You're not going to use the best ingredients. You're not going to manufacture at the highest level. Old Trapper does every single time, which is why every single time you take a bite... It's always tender. It's never tough because they use just the best ingredients. From their lean strips of beef, seasoned with top-quality spices to their real wood-fired smoke, Old Trapper delivers quality in every single bite, every single bag, every single experience. And that's what that is. That beef jerky is an experience. It is so much better than all the others. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what is your beef? You're listening to The Jim Rome Show. Welcome back. I'm Jim Rome. Top of the hour, you get to beef. So if you want to know when we can return to normal, at any point, if you want to talk about the parade and what happened yesterday, I'm going to continue with that momentarily. You can do that. But if you want to save it for the beef segment, in fact, now would be a very good time. Start calling right now with your beefs. I want to start setting up the beefs right now. Telephone number is toll free, 1-800-636-8686. We'll have that segment at the very top of the hour. Right now, as promised, we're joined by a staff writer for The Athletic. He has covered the Kansas City Chiefs since 2018. He previously worked for the New York Times and the Indianapolis Star. We are joined right now by Nate Taylor. Nate, it's good to have you on. Good morning. How are you? Doing okay, Jim. Doing okay. How are you? Yeah, I would imagine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Thanks, Nate, so much. And I appreciate uh, you joining us today. Obviously, Nate, a day of celebration turned into a day of tragedy. One person was killed. Reportedly, at least 22 people were shot near the end of the parade. You were there. Can you take us through the timeline of yesterday's events? Yeah, sure. Um, I was there. And I was 
uh, I was mostly there as a father. Uh, I actually took the day off um, because, you know, my son, uh, Hayden, who's eight years old, wanted to go to the parade. Um, and as I've said before to a couple people, you know, when I cover the when I cover the games, obviously I'm not watching it with my son. So I wanted him to have, I wanted us to have just um, that father son time together. Obviously with my wife Holly, um, and even our even our young puppy um, Maple. So it was a great celebration. The weather could not have been better. It was the best weather day uh, that Kansas City's had for one of these parades, even including obviously the 2015 celebration uh, with the Kansas City Royals. So it's you know. Above 50 degrees, uh, everybody's having a great time. Uh, you know, multiple players are celebrating without, you know, without shirts. Um, you know, we were on 20th and Grand. So, uh, for your listeners, that's halfway. That's basically the halfway point of the parade that starts in the downtown area and sort of flows to Union Station, which is, of course, where the rally was held. Um, and so, for half parent reasons, half journalist reasons uh you know i told my son hey this is as close as you're going to get to the guys you saw everybody on the team uh he enjoyed you know the hell out of the parade hey let's leave from here because the crowd's only going to get bigger at the rally in front of union station let's go back north and we can watch uh the rally we can watch what patrick mahomes travis kelsey chris jones we can watch what those guys say on television and so that's the decision we made just because I wanted to hear what those guys said with obviously the best audio through television, not knowing, of course, um, that the shooting was going to occur literally minutes after uh, the rally concluded. So, um, you know, there's, you know, one thing I'll never forget, Jim, is looking at a colleague of mine, Neil Jones from KCTV5, as they're starting basically their post coverage of the parade, of the parade and the rally, and then you hear the gunshots. Um, and you see people starting to scamper, and then you see them starting to run, and then them starting to sprint, and Neil Jones is trying, you know, on live television, trying to understand what he's seeing. And then, of course, obviously we know as much as we know now, which is just an utterly tragic situation where multiple people brought firearms to this celebratory event, which logically makes no sense to me. Um, but, yes, we were, you know, me and my family were basically a couple blocks from this happening. Um, and it's just utterly sad now because even the NFL is trying to decide, should we continue to have our players, our coaching staffs, whoever wins the Super Bowl, should we continue to allow them to have their championship parade in public? Or would it actually be safer if we were to have those celebrations, even if it's minimizing the crowd in an NFL stadium. Nate Taylor joining us. So much to unpack there. I really appreciate that response, Nate. Uh, I think, yeah, that's a very valid question and one that has to be posed. Let me ask you this, Nate. As a Kansas City native who has spent most of your life in the region, can you describe the general feeling in the area the day after the tragedy? And you know that area. How do you make sense of this? Frankly, it could happen anywhere, and it does, but you've spent your whole life there. Yeah, I spent my whole life there, and I thought something that, uh, you know, the mayor, Quentin Lucas, said, which I thought was very poignant, was the fact that, you know, Kansas City has a, uh, you know, St. Patrick's Day parade. We're going to have a St. Patrick's Day parade in basically, you know, a month's time. Uh, obviously, you know, the city has had multiple championship parades. This has never occurred. Um, and with that comes deep sorrow 
um, pain and just, I think, you know, not just, this is just me as a person, let alone a, you know, a journalist or anything, but just trying to understand why this could have happened. Obviously, um, there were over, you know, over 800 police is what's the number been reported, but you can, you could add even more onto that because there's other police departments uh, from across the Kansas region who are obviously supporting um, the rest of the city while the parade was going on. So it's, it's, it's complex. Um, you go from feeling, you know, elation. Uh, I, I would like to remind the, the audience too, like Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones are inebriated in public because they, they won a Super Bowl and they're trying to have, you know, a release of tension and stress and they're just there to party. And then somebody has to remind them along with other people with the team that they have to leave, that basically we have to evacuate. We have to get you out of Union Station. We have to get you on the team bus and we have to go back to Arrowhead Stadium, Uh, which again is a very interesting point uh, for the players and the coaching staff and obviously the support staff uh, around them they get bussed from Arrowhead Stadium to downtown Kansas City, and then they're supposed to basically have a nice dinner, a nice, like, you know, uh, happy hour event, I should say, at Union Station. And then, you know, they're all going to, you know, get in the, get in the, get shuttled back, I should say, to Arrowhead Stadium so they can get to their own cars and obviously go about what was supposed to be, you know, a pretty fun Valentine's Day. Um, none of that happened. And with that, uh, seeing people – of my hometown running without any understanding other than they just heard gunfire that they thought was maybe fireworks, but now it is gunfire. You're trying to wrap your mind around where do I go? I mean, it's a lot of open space there, Jim. Um, just a day of utter sorrow and trying to unpack all the confusion that came from, you know, people who made um, – just a terrible decision, no matter how you look at it. We are talking to Nate Taylor. Nate Taylor writes for The Athletic. He covers the team, has covered the team since 2018. You know, Nate, like you said, you were part dad, part journo. This comes up every single time, and as soon as I began to talk about this today, a number of people said, I am tired of trying to explain this to my child. How do you explain this to my child? You brought your son. I mentioned that I remember, and you talked about your son being eight, right? I remember when I was nine, what sports meant to me. You're probably like me. You're probably a better athlete than me, but when I realized I couldn't be an athlete, I knew I wanted to do this because as a child I was obsessed. How did you explain this to your child? (laughs) Yeah, that, that's, that's such a great point. My, my son loves football. My son loves basketball. I mean, I'm trying to get him into tennis more and more each day. But uh, you try to be as logical of a parent as you can while not being um, – well, not trying to guard yourself from the things that are not logical. And so um, my son is trying to understand it. Uh, me and my wife, Holly, have tried to explain as best we can. Um, but kids are going to have great questions. And as adults, we don't have great answers. And it's okay to sometimes tell your son, like, I don't know why somebody, why multiple people, you know, now that we know this is obviously, uh, you know, in the heat of it, it's like, what do you mean? Um, like, Dad, why are people running on television? Why, like, you know, we have, like, well, we're going to watch the news now, and I'm going to obviously get on my phone. Cell reception was just, there really wasn't any, which I think added to the level of confusion within the city, like people trying to reach out to me, um, knowing that I was likely there, um, and then trying to tell you, you know, trying to tell all your people that you're safe or that you're, you've reached, you know, a place where you feel comfortable 
you know, communicating with others. So when you get to the child part, and obviously my son's in school today, school was out yesterday so that they could go to the parade. I think that's another thing that is just yes. kind of deeply concerning. Like every, just about every public school district said, hey, we've done it last year. We've done it, you know, last three out of five years. We're going to do it again. We're going to, you know, uh, it's going to be a great weather day. Like we'll just add a calendar, we'll just add a day onto the calendar towards the end of the semester. But for everyone, uh, there is no school tomorrow. Every kid can go to the parade if they want to. Um, I, I saw thousands of kids, Jim. And to know that, you know, a large a, a sizable amount of the victims were children is it's just gut wrenching. So um, you're there because that day is for children. As much as adults love to drink and to cheer and obviously to to be amongst Patrick Mahomes and Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey, that day is primarily for children because it's supposed to be a lifelong memory. And me and my wife have discussed the idea that this is his first experience with, you know, a mass shooting incident. And um, we, like a lot of Americans before us, are trying to navigate the best way to give as many answers as we can with also understanding that, like, yeah, man, uh, you're smart, you're learning, and, yeah, we as adults don't have the answers because we haven't had the answers to uh, make you, us, or anybody else feel safer when they go to public events. Absolutely nailed it. Just nailed it. Nate Taylor writes for The Athletic. He's covered the Chiefs since 2018. Nate, I really appreciate that so much. I can only imagine what it's like there right now for you and everybody else. But I appreciate your thoughts so much, and really well done, Nate. Thanks so much for doing that. Yeah, thank you again, Jim, for having us. And, uh, yes, keep us keep us all in your in your prayers is what I would say for my city. You know it. Absolutely. Nate Taylor joining us. I certainly will do that. And I think that pretty much everybody listening will as well. Nate Taylor saying what it was like to be there and what it was like, not only what it was like to be there, but again, what it was like to be there with an eight-year-old. And he echoed what I said earlier that it is about the kids. And I thought that he said it even better that, yes, you're going to have adults. They're going to party. They're going to have some pops. They're going to have some drinks. And you're going to celebrate a great thing. But it's for the kids. That's why they close schools for a day so the kids can come and enjoy that. It's a once in a lifetime. Well, maybe not with that dynasty. There are more than one chance or there's more than one chance to experience something like that. But it is for the kids. And to think that something like that could happen and children could be shot is unfathomable. But it happened. All right. My thanks to Nate Taylor. When we come back, we've talked at length about that. And we can still talk about that. If you want to move on, I understand that too. We've got a beef segment coming up. And in fact, you want to call right now. I want to start lining up the beefs. And the beef does not need to be parade-related. The beef doesn't even need to be anything related. It can be about whatever you want except the JN. And please, no toilet humor. Other than that, you can do anything you want. You have your telephone number. If not, here it is, 1-800-636-8686. Beefs at the top of the hour. Hit me up on the X with a beef at Jim Rome. Email me your beef. And and don't cry if your written beefs don't get read. Don't write songs if your written beefs don't get read. Maybe they will. Maybe this is the day where we have no calling beefs, but only written beefs. I haven't decided yet. I won't know till I get there. But first, here's a sports update. 
Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show on CBS Sports Radio. So the peep segment's coming up. If you want to call right now, once again, hit me, 1-800-636-8686, or go to X and at me, at Jim Rome. So it does return today after a week off, and clones, I know, I know, it was a really traumatic week for some of you without your precious beef segment. I know that week for some of you felt like a month or a year or a decade. I know you need your beef, and you don't think there's ever a good reason for me to skip a beef day, not even for our Super Bowl coverage outside the Bellagio, even if the actual reason is pretty much the best reason possible. Namely, our Super Bowl coverage outside of the Bellagio. And the fact that the week of shows was filled with incredible guests in every single segment, which left no space for a beef segment. I get it. Even if that amazing reason is the reason I skipped the beef, some of you, many of you, most of you apparently, still get all butthurt and bent. Even though I still made time to read some of your beefs last Thursday, I tried. But apparently that was not enough. That was not enough, especially for Ben in Driftwood. Ben, my dude, you're getting a lot of run this week. And by a lot of run, I mean way too much run. Way too much run. You started this week harassing the call screeners to get on the air with your alleged golden ticket call, congratulating the Chiefs. And then that call went like this. Rome, I'll see you Thursday for a huge beef to kick it off on the X. Regulation War, Rick and Buffalo, I have Brady and Jeff and Richmond for giving Rome's pipe a full-on Usher halftime show. Overtime War, Pamela Anderson and Rome. You called your shot, Ben. You called your shot. You told the call screeners, I've got the golden ticket. Dude, that was the exact opposite of a golden ticket call. That's the kind of call that will make me want to tell you never call here ever again, let alone on the biggest day of the jungle calendar. Between that call and you telling the screeners to get your golden ticket ready, that whole act just isn't it, my dude. It's just not the way of the jungle or to the jungle. Yet somehow Ben found a way to make it worse. He did. In fact, a lot worse. Which is why I'm trying to get in front of it and tell you, Ben, do not call me during the beef segment today. I'm not banning you from the show, although I could. Probably should. I'm not doing that. I'm banning you, however, from the beef segment today. I'm essentially putting you in the penalty box. You're basically getting a double minor for being a dope. That's a real thing. And if anybody thinks I'm being harsh, I'm not. And you're about to find out why. You're going to hear why. Pretty soon, you're all going to think that his double minor for being a dope should have been a game misconduct, if not a 40-game suspension. Because Ben sent me a song after he flamed and crashed and burned with his alleged, supposed golden ticket call earlier this week. A really, really whiny song. A really, really whiny song about the beef segment. 
And I don't know why I'm using the word song so much because calling this a song is, again, giving him and it way too much credit. This dude took the time to do this and send it to me. Who can make it better? Rome. Rome. Rome, I've got a big beef. Rome, I've got a big beef. Been stewing on it for over a week. You see, you took the show on the road. But you cut the beef from the Bellagio. Yeah, you had a really nice set. But you ripped my chance at a golden ticket. I don't think it's such a crazy thought that a beaver could make it to the smack-off. And I remember we were beefing, you extended the vine, I spoke my beef, then you opined. Driftwood, that was really well played, that right there just made my day, I, I, had a feeling I won, want a beef on it, want a beef somewhere, put my beef on the map, beef for a strap. Per usual, no words from the wordsmith himself. No words. Well, two words. Holy bleep. One more word. Why? And again, the question. Dude, do you really think that's good or are you just trolling the hell out of me? Because I can't figure it out. I think that you really think that's good and you're proud of it. And that it's not like ironic or are you trolling me? Or are you being a comedian? Or are you being a clown? Like, I think that you really think that's good and you're proud of it. You shouldn't be. Why do any of you send me songs? And why is it that it's the most, the the least musically inclined of you that send me the most musical submissions? I never asked for it. Ever. Ever. I don't want it. I never asked for it. And yet it just keeps coming. Just like the Rat Fam, just like the Adult Alarm, just like the Bison Daylay submissions, just like the Mama Cass resets. I don't want any of that crap. I don't want to be known for that crap because that crap is attached to me. Dude, it was one week without the beef segment. And I still read a bunch of your beefs anyway. What are you even crying about? I'm not the one who ripped your chance at a golden ticket. You yourself did that, Benny, because your calls are garbage. And that's fair. If you're going to call me with garbage takes, I'm going to tell you it's garbage. I'm not being harsh. Nobody made you call me, and nobody asked you to sing to me either. Somehow your songs are even worse than your calls, and your calls are terrible too. This is why you have no golden ticket. And this is why I did not let you call into the Bellagio set with your lame-ass beef. And this is why you cannot call today. Just to be clear. Now, Ben is right about one thing. And only one thing. He's right about this one thing. It isn't crazy to imagine a beefer making it to the smack-off. You see, Ben, I actually did listen to that garbage you tracked. I heard it. But you're right about that. It's not Totally impossible. In fact, it's totally possible 
just not for you. I would love for that to happen. It's just crazy to imagine any of your beefs carrying you into the smack off. You know why, Ben? How do I put this? Your beefs are ass. Yet somehow, some way, your songs are even worse. And yes, songs is plural. Because avid clones will remember that this is not the first time that Ben has sent me a song, unfortunately. And you will all be shocked to hear that it didn't go any better for Ben the first time around when he was, you guessed it, whining about the beef segment. Please don't call here wondering why we wrote our beef at all. We have no time for a vine. Because we were too busy to call. We should have kept our written beef. Posted on the bathroom stall. Rome won't read us. No, he won't read us. He won't read Let us. Let me interrupt at this all. for the top reaction so far. Rome, for the love of God, make it stop. Signed Dino in Vegas. Damn. Can't wait. This guy. <laughs> the only the only guy who has sent in worse songs Hardly than Ben just sent me, quote, for the love of God, make it stop. Dude, isn't that rich? Hardly You're the richest man in Babylon, Dino. For the love of God. You're Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, and Elon Musk all rolled into one in terms of how rich you are. This guy's cracking the other guy. Rich as hell. I got a solution. Both of you stop going into the studio and making me songs. Stop laying tracks down, dudes. Beef segment coming up next. Hit me up. 1-800-except-for-you. Ben, don't hit me up. 1-800-636-8686. Or find me on X at J 